In the name of our Lord Jesus, an Asian man who loves people from North America, a male who loves all people, women included, who came not only here for us, but he came to be us and in himself to draw all of us together. In fact, to become him, to become his body. My dear friends, such a diverse group. You've been born near and far. You have many different heights. You have many different economic levels. You've come from different racial groups. You have different gifts. You're different in every way, but one thing we blessedly share in common is the faith that has uh, welded us together in Christ. If you've got a dollar bill on you, take it out right now. I want you to look at the back of it. If you don't, that's okay. But I want you to just see what interesting stuff is back there, if you've got, you got a dollar. One of the funny things, while you're hauling that out and studying it, but have you ever really looked at it? Isn't it kind of weird and creepy? There's the big eagle, the great seal of the United States on the right, but on the left is, is some real weirdness. Did you ever actually look at it? Or are you, just, are you so busy spending it? As, <laughs> they go out so fast you don't got time to study it. <laughs> look at that weird thing on the left. One of the unusual and interesting things that organizations, institutions, banks, and countries, and everybody trying to look impressive will do, is they will, do, they will print official documents and slogans, not in English, which, isn't that a, isn't that a little weird? It's like, what's wrong with, with good old English? <laughs> so if you look on government buildings in Washington, D.C., for instance, they'll often have inscriptions chiseled over the front of the main entrance, but it won't be in English. Usually, they decide that they want to chisel them in Latin. Did you ever wonder about, did, did that thought ever come into your head? Why on earth are we using a different language to express some of the most important concepts in our country? And I think the reason for that is when our country was small and kind of disorganized and vast and poor, we had dreams of making it big and wanting to be important. And the gold standard for a really cool, great, big, mighty government was the Roman Empire, which people loved to study and read. In fact, at the time that our nation was founded, every educated person knew how to read Latin. That was simply the universal language still, even into the late 1700s. In fact, even deep into the 1800s, Every university student not only knew Latin, but also could even understand lectures delivered in Latin. It was a dead language everywhere but the church and universities. And so it was a way to kind of set the mark that this is something really important and that the smart people think that this is supposed to happen. So it should not come as a surprise then when for our grandest pronouncements of the values and the purpose of the United States of America, English just wasn't enough. <laughs> so they had to put them in Latin. There's three Latin phrases on the back of your money. So now you've found your, your $1 bills. On the left, you see this weird-looking pyramid, like we have the Great Pyramids of America. Like we don't, not, we're not like Egypt. Our pyramids are on the back of our money. But it's supposed to show strength and stability. 
It has the Roman numerals for the date of our nation's founding. Underneath that pyramid are three words. It says Novus Ordo Seclorum. You know what that means? Anybody want to offer a translation? It means the new order of the ages. In other words, we're doing something here so cool, they're going to be talking about us forever. Which actually turned out to be true, didn't it? I mean, that actually is true. The United States' risky experiment in democracy has been studied and imitated the world over. And even, say, communist countries like Russia imitates the United States' machinery of, pre of voting. There they sort of pretend to vote. Here we, we have, well, we sort of pretend to vote a little bit, but, we, but we've got a little more confidence that our votes really do matter. At the top of that strange-looking pyramid with the eyeball floating off the top of it, that eyeball, by the way, whose eyeball is it? <laughs> God's. He's supposed to be the idea. He's looking at us. And it says in Latin, annuit ceptis. Anybody know what that means? It means he has favored our undertakings. Also true. There's no way the United States could have been born with the idea that everybody should have the ability to select his and her government representatives and to adjust their own level of taxation and that the government is actually responsible to all the people, not just to the landed aristocracy. That was a radical idea in the 1700s. In fact, in Europe, it took a century and a half of wrenching revolution and warfare before those ideas actually came to the point in Europe where they are today. On the right-hand side is the great seal of the United States. And there you see an eagle clutching 13 arrows, but also holding the branch of peace. So um, kind of a paradox there. And the eagle's got something in his or her mouth. Don't know if it's a lady eagle or a boy eagle. But there's something in the eagle's mouth. Can you, can you squint and read what it says there? Can I have a volunteer? Who's, see, who's got a bill that can read it? What does it say? E pluribus unum. Unfortunately, an extremely powerful and important idea, but by being put in Latin, probably three-quarters of Americans have no idea what they're even looking at. The great seal of our country, in fact, such an important visual, it is stamped on your passports. If you've got any notions of ever visiting a country outside the United States, you will have a little blue book about this big, made out of really like leathery hard cardboard, and stamped on the front in gold leaf is this very picture, because it's the great seal of the United States. And in Latin, it says, e pluribus unum. You know what that means? Out of many, one. And the idea was, this was sort of a bit of a pipe dream in the 1770s, because the colonies were very disunited and fought against each other and had very different styles and ways of, of managing their economies. Slavery, as you know, was not just tolerated in the South, it was the engine of the entire economy of the South. So that when America was founded, even the, the anti-slavery people of the North were not able to get rid of slavery through the Declaration of Independence or our first Constitution, and slavery persisted and dragged on for seven more weary decades before the Civil War finally ended it. 
But this was a dream. Out of many, we are going to become one. It's a sort of an aspiration. It's a goal to point for. Not always describing reality, but this is who we are. Out of many, one. We are going to build a common American enterprise from all the peoples who've come. The many, many immigrants are going to be bonded together here in the U.S. And in spite of our diversity, we are going to have a unity. And it strikes me that this is one of the most awesome possible uh, mission statements or legends or mottos or slogans for the Christian church as well. And I really, really, really badly want it to be a descriptor of our congregation as well. Out of many, one. And this is not just my dream, although I'm, I hope it's your dream too, but this is really God's dream too. Uh, unfortunately, through a typo, on, uh, on my bad, the scripture text for today's Bible study somehow didn't get into the bulletin. So, I get to explain to you what we're going to look at, a few verses from Ephesians 4. Would you kindly take your Bible? You can put your money away, although if you enjoy gazing at your dollar bill, you can keep it out or hold it. If it makes you feel better to hold it, you can still hold it. But I do need you to open up your Bible now to Ephesians chapter 4. One of the prison letters of Paul, an Asian man who is now in a European prison, a Jew being held captive by Gentiles. He's far away from home, feeling pretty isolated, and yet he was able to correspond with congregations, some that he had never seen, others that he had founded himself personally. In Ephesians chapter 4, I'd like to have you look at just a few verses from the beginning of that chapter. And I want you to be thinking about e pluribus unum, out of many one. Paul writes, as a prisoner for the Lord. By the way, this wasn't just a metaphor. He really was a prisoner. He repeatedly talks about his chains. It may be that he actually was chained to a bolt in the floor or chained to a Roman military officer to keep him from escaping. He was not free to come and go. He could receive visitors happily, but he himself had lost his liberty while he was waiting, 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 waiting for the trial that this, the Bible unfortunately doesn't tell us about. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Think of who you are. You've been loved from all eternity. Your existence is not an accident. You're not an animal. You're not a purposeless speck of dust drifting around. You are a miniature version of God himself, designed from all eternity in the mind of God to be in his image, to think like God. Not that you have all the powers of God, you can't be trusted with those, but he can trust you with his value system, with his system of right and wrong, with his agenda of what he's trying to do. You were loved from all eternity. You were loved from the cross where Jesus thought you worth dying for. He prepaid all your sins. You were loved and forgiven even before you started sinning. Isn't that extraordinary? God fronted you his grace even before you were born. You were loved that long ago. 
and Jesus thought you worth dying for, and Jesus takes his resurrection and his triumph over sin, death, and devil and gives it to you through your faith. It's a gift to you. And now the Spirit says, come and claim it. Here, here it is. And, and has spoken his words to you, which are able to turn the lights on in your brain, convert you, change your willpower to start saying yes to God instead of no. Now, this is your calling to live in a different way from the way Satan wants to enslave people. And there's a thousand tricks Satan has to enslave people. And one of the most painful and worst is the way he uses every difference between us as a wedge issue to drive us apart, to bring about suspicion, fear, anger, resentment, guilt, grudges, bitterness, confusion, suspicion, jumping to conclusions, and to retreat and withdraw to only your little comfort world where everything's just the way you want it and where everybody's just like you. So he sows divisions between genders because, frankly, males and females will never fully understand each other. In fact, they may at best only partially get what's going on in the other person's brain. And the only way you get even that far is by patient listening and asking questions and thinking, you know, maybe I don't quite get this all. And I think even at best, uh, even the trophy, trophiest husband in the world, only about 50 to 60 percent really grasps how his wife thinks, and I think she only gets about 50 to 60 percent of what on, why on earth does he do what he does. We never quite get each other. And that can be fun, can it, if you do it right, if you, if you are patient and kind, it can actually make life interesting, you know, into your 50th and 60th year of marriage. If you're not careful with those differences, you can destroy your marriage real easy. It doesn't, it's not very hard to do. Any, any idiot, you don't even need both to be idiots, one to be an idiot, and you can destroy your marriage easily because of that tension between male and female. There's tension between the ages. The young resent the old and the old fear and resent the young. That's been going on forever. And there most certainly is tension between nations who have an appetite for conquest, who are always jockeying for financial power, trade, and wealth, uh, building bigger and bigger armies, bigger and bigger weapons, more destructive weapons. And there are always chances for misunderstanding and resentments, especially even here in America, where sometimes we're more pluribus than unum. But you and I are part of God's solution. We can't just say, God, why don't you fix racism and then go keep watching TV. Live your life worthy of the calling you have received, and one of your calls is to be an ambassador of peace for Jesus Christ. One of your callings, one of the features of your callings is to be a peacemaker and dial down tension, resentment, anger, and racism. To repent of your own racism and foolish things you've said and done, to find love and forgiveness in Christ, and then to be a broker and a sharer of that mercy with other people. That's part of your calling. Be com- and here's how you do it. Be completely humble. If you want to work on racism in the world, start in the racism in your own heart. Everybody's got it. Everybody can find something to scorn and detest among the people, people groups unlike you. Um, black folks can look at white folks with scorn and resentment and feel morally superior. 
uh, and just think, you enslaved us, and just stay angry about that permanently and just look down morally. Uh, you're just a bunch of greedy, power-hungry, selfish pigs, and just keep that opinion quietly to yourself. In fact, some religious groups uh, made up of minorities have so given up on racial reconciliation, they actually teach and believe that anybody with blue eyes uh, has the soul of Satan inside. They're walking demons from hell. And that's what they've been left with because they simply have nothing to trust. They're just so angry about our racial past, they can never let go of it. Then white folks look at the most wanted list at the post office or the police station, and they see they don't see too many white guys up on that 10 most wanted list, and so they look down on people not like them and just think, man, it's them. Our problems in our society, and they get their pointing finger out and just say, it's them. See, that's really, see how easy that is? You can just stay angry and feel superior and withdraw. It starts with humility. Be humble. Being humble means you listen before you talk. Being humble means maybe I'm wrong about this. Being humble means what can you teach me? Being humble means how can I clap and cheer for you instead of trying to manipulate you into clapping and cheering for me? Being humble means how can I help you achieve your agenda instead of what do you got for me? What can I squeeze out of you to make my agenda happen? Gentleness means I'm going to be a peacemaker. I'm going to use my platform in life to dial down the conflict all around me, and I can do that. Being gentle means watch what you say. No racial jokes that make fun of somebody else. Even when you think, yeah, everybody knows I don't really mean that. Oh, man. If, if you make racial jokes about somebody not like you, other, you're just lacking in stereotypes. That's not good. Be gentle. Watch your mouth. Keep those angry words bottled up and swallow them back down and give them to Jesus. Be patient. People are works in progress. You are, I certainly am, and the people we live with in our congregation, in our city, need our patience. Bearing with one another in love. Racism won't be fixed by people arguing with each other about who's right. It comes from gentleness, humility, patience, and a, a decision to bear with people you don't feel you quite understand or you don't get what drives them, or their style, or music, or food, or dance moves, or uh, clothing styles, or anything that you, makes you feel like, man, they, I'm not like them at all. They're like alien to me. Just slow it down and be really careful. Bear with one another in love. Enjoy the diversity of God's people, because he didn't make clones. You know what clones are, right? You've seen Star Wars. You know the Clone Wars, right? What can you tell about those guys in the white plastic armor? They're all alike, aren't they? Every last one. Because they're all cloned from the same prototype. Aren't you glad that's not how our world is? But we, it's a Christian thing to choose to enjoy our diversity instead of resenting it and using it as a cause for disunity. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is a mission. This needs, I need you to choose to agree with this and then decide I'm going to do this. I'm going to do whatever I can to keep the unity of the Spirit. I'm going to encourage and show interest in and help support 
love people like me, but even more importantly, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and I am going to be involved in the lives of people not like me so that I can be glue instead of dynamite. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all who is over all and through all in, in all. And here is our holy mission at St. Marcus to practice on each other first so that we can, in our communities, in our civic life, in our business life, in our school life, our educational life, in our, uh, in our nonprofit worlds, that we can live these values and we can carry out the vision and the dream that, that this Jew in a Gentile prison, this Asian man in a European prison, that those words coming so long ago can continue to resonate. And this is going to help, I think, keep this Juneteenth spirit alive, a spirit that celebrates the fact that long after July 4th, 1776, finally freedom came to all Americans. And it took a long time, but finally it happened. It was a very costly uh, achievement, but it finally happened, and we can all rejoice and celebrate, not just a lot July 4th, but June 19th as well. And now let's live the implications of God's declaration that in this crazy diversity, in all this pluribus, there is a marvelous unum that all of us together, no matter how different we are, we have got one Lord, there's one Creator, there is one Savior, Jesus Christ, one Spirit who lives in all of us, one Spirit whose Word speaks to each of our minds and hearts, one Spirit who has gifted us all in crazy different ways with the idea that we will hang out with each other because we will need each other. One church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Lord's Supper, one bread given to feed all of us, one cup shared with all. The sacred blood of Christ bonds us all together. And in our angry, crazy, still race-tormented world, you and I can be healers of Satan's sickness, and we can be ambassadors of Jesus Christ's peace. You agree? Yes or no? Are you in? Yes or no? Yes. Then I guess we're done. <laughs> Amen.